great. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. Good morning. Good to see all of you today. Uh, happy Father's Day. It looks like I see a, a few fathers out there in the crowd. Um, I'm excited to be one, obviously. Uh, and man, if you have a father in your life, I hope that you get to spend some time with him today, uh, even if that just has to be through a phone call or something like that, because um, I believe that he'll really appreciate just getting to have some level of uh, quality time with you. And um, as I was thinking about this, yeah, it's just like, what, what is it that I want from the people that I love most in my life? It's not the things that they can give me. Um, it's not gifts. It's really just like their presence. And so I'd say like, your dad wants your presence more than your presence. Uh, that's not the joke, but if that was confusing for you. But um, honestly, I think that our Heavenly Father in many ways I- is the same. Like he desires our presence with him more than any of the different kinds of things that we could do for him. Okay, he doesn't really need us to even do anything for him, but what he longs for is for us to actually be with him. And when somebody chooses to give you their full presence, there's actually something that's kind of special about this. Like, you know what I mean? I'm, not, I'm talking about when somebody chooses to actually give you their full attention. They're not on their phone. Uh, there doesn't have to be background noise or anything like that, where someone's just with you choosing to be fully present, not just physically but also emotionally and mentally. I think this kind of presence is getting more and more rare uh, as time goes on, just because we live in a world that has so many distractions. Um, I mean, we literally are carrying around computers in our pockets uh, that have access to worlds of information, uh, addicting games, distracting social media platforms, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's actually rare to get undivided attention anymore. So as I was preparing for this sermon, I thought about how many of you guys are actually giving me that kind of attention right now, and it reminded me of what a sacred duty this is that I have, and what a sacred opportunity it is to actually be able to take the the presence that you have here, the attention that you're giving, and and hopefully do something productive with it. Like, there's a lot of kingdom hours being invested right here when you think about this. Like, all of you guys could have been out anywhere else doing something else, and you've chosen to be here. And so, like, I get that, and I want to value your time, um, and I only want to teach you stuff whenever I get this opportunity that I believe is going to be glorifying to God, and that's going to be really valuable for your life. And so this morning, as we continue through our sermon series, it's called Abundance. I want to teach you about a spiritual discipline that's been massively impactful in my own life, okay? And we've called this series Abundance. Because this summer, we've been teaching you through these things that we call spiritual disciplines, uh, which are just practices that are designed to help us take hold of the abundant life that Jesus said that he came to give. Right? In John 10, 10, he said that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it in abundance. And so this is really what we're after, right? Like Jesus is the one that gives us life, but how is it that we can actually engage with that? How is it that we can actually take hold and experience the kind of life that he wants to give us? Because I think that for so many of us, uh, we, we say we're Christians, but our faith kind of just stops there and we don't experience the fullness of life and the joy. Uh, we don't engage with God's presence in the way that we were designed to. And so we miss out on so much of the life that Jesus actually wants us to have. You know, it was my birthday this past week, 
And uh, when you get a, a gift, right, like it, it becomes yours, but it doesn't actually add value to your life unless you engage with it, right? Like if, if everyone came and just kind of gave me gifts, and it's like they're my possession. I can set them sit at my house, but they don't actually enrich my life until I open it up and actually engage with it. And I think in, for a lot of us, it's like, man, we understand, okay, yeah, Jesus has given us new life, but we don't actually engage in that new life that he wants to give us. And so, as I said, I know that your time this morning is valuable, and I believe I'm going to be teaching you something that's really valuable today. The question for you is then going to become, are you actually going to go and do something with it? Are you going to just be a hearer of the word, or are you going to be a doer of the word? And so the discipline I'm going to teach you this morning is one uh, that I call silence and solitude. Um, it's a discipline that I believe is going to help you to be more fully present with God. Um, so with that being said, let's pray, and then we'll dive into more what I want to talk about. Lord, uh, we thank you that you are present here. Um, I just think of that, that first song that we sang this morning, um, just declaring that, like, you're here and I know that you're moving. Um, God, I know that there's nowhere that uh, we can go to flee from your presence, but Lord, I pray that you would help us to be people that are just so much more aware of you being around us. It would help us to be people that are aware of the fact that uh, like, as Jesus said, like, surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Lord, help us to be people that really live in your presence, that live in that fullness of joy that's there in that. So God, I just pray that you would speak this morning, speak through me and through your scripture, and uh, glorify your name, God, and, and make us people that are closer to you. We love you and pray this in your son's awesome name. You know, do you guys know that God really strongly desires you to be with him, right? L like, I think that this is something that we've all probably heard before, but have you ever let that actually sink in, that the God of the universe desires you? You think about this, if you had a, a, a crush on a guy or a girl, and, and you started to learn that, like, they like to be around you, right? Like, you get excited about this fact, that, oh, yeah, they, they're texting me, like, they want me to come over and hang out, like, that's really exciting. That kind of gives you the butterflies in your stomach, right? Um, how much cooler is it that the God of the universe says, I want you to be with me? Like, he's way out of our league, and he's saying, yeah, come hang out with me. Come be in my presence. He wants you to spend time with him. And, guys, this, is, this seems like something that's almost too good to be true, which maybe I think is why we don't actually meditate on, on it very much or don't let it sink in. But this is a massive theme all throughout the scriptures. I'm going to show you just through a sample of, of all these different uh, passages that talk about how God really desires us to be with him. Look at this, Micah 6.8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Uh, the life that God has designed us is literally to be one where we're, we're walking us alongside him. We should be constantly aware of his presence. Look at what Jesus said, John 14, 2-3. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus wants us to move in with him for eternity, right? <laughs> like, you have to like somebody a lot to want them to move in with you. He's saying, yeah, I'm going to prepare a dwelling place in my Father's house for you so that where I am, you can be. He's making a room for us. 
Look at this prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. <coughs> this is a, a prayer that was very late in Jesus' life. It wasn't too long before this. <coughs> sorry, it wasn't too long after this that he would be crucified. <coughs> and he's praying, I, I want them to be with me. And you know, it's not just the all-stars. Look at this, Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's not like God's just saying, man, I, I want the people to hang out with me that are prettiest, the most talented, the ones that have it all together. He's saying, no, uh, if you're weary, you're heavy laden, come to me. I want you to come be around me. Even when we're in sin, look at this. Matthew 23, 37. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. And so here we see, obviously, he's like, Jerusalem is in sin. As a matter of fact, he's about to be killed uh, right outside of Jerusalem. But even here, knowing that their legacy is that, that they kill the prophets and stone those who are sent to her, what did Jesus want? To gather them together the way that a hen gathers its chicks under its wings. If you're weary, if you're weak, even if you're in sin, God wants you to come to him. Man, Psalm 27, 8. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. How cool is that that God would say, would tell us, seek my face. Once again, over and over and over, I think that you guys get the idea by now, but, but I'm trying to help you see God actually wants you to be with him. And like, if you don't grab anything else from this sermon this morning, I hope that that at least will resonate with you. That, that God is not some sort of boring, distant uh, uh, being that kind of just doles out judgment, that kind of thing. He's like, no, he's one that wants to gather you together to prepare a place for you, to, to let you move into his house, to adopt you as his kid, to, to gather you like a hen gathers its chicks under its wings. Man, that, that's awesome, right? Like, and not only does God want us to be with him, but we were designed in such a way that our hearts need him, right? L like, I love uh, the response in Psalm 27 where he says, seek my face, and he says, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek, right? It's the opposite of the one that Jerusalem had, where it says, hey, I wanted to gather you together like the hens, but you were unwilling. You see, we have a choice. Are we going to respond to the fact that God wants us to be with him and seek him and go to him, or are we going to try and push him away? My hope is that we would be people that come to understand that our hearts were des designed with a deep longing to be with God. Look at what the sons of Korah wrote in Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Man, that's awesome. I want my soul to, to be like that. I want to recognize that. David says something similar in Psalm 63. He says, O God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. 
my lips would praise you. God wants us to be with him. And we were designed with hearts and souls that long and thirst for him. And you know, you might sit here and think, well, Grant, I don't really long for God that much. Like, I actually don't really desire to be with him. What I would argue is that, man, like, he's designed you with a heart that needs him. There's nothing else that can fulfill that. So even though you may not know that you're hungry for him, ultimately, I believe that you are. Because he's the only one that can actually satisfy the desires of your heart. He's the one that made us. He knows our hearts. He knows our needs. And frankly, this idea of uniting us together with him is really what the gospel is all about in the first place. Right? Like the gospel at its core, it's a message of reconciliation. The whole Bible is telling us this story of how we became separated from God by our sin. And everything else is telling us all that God has done to bring us back together and to restore this relationship. It's a message of reconciliation. I love what uh, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Guys, this is the whole thing. He became sin who knew no sin, uh, so that in him we become the righteousness of God. When Jesus Christ went to the cross and died for our sins, he did that so that the sin that was separating us from God could be removed. And that we could be brought back, reconciled, brought into relationship with God. That we can enjoy his presence for eternity. So just as Paul was begging uh, th- those that he wrote to in, in 2 Corinthians, be reconciled to God, I would say the same to you. I don't know where everyone stands here this morning and your relationship with the Lord, but if you are not uh, in a relationship with Christ, I'm begging you, be reconciled to God. It's what he wants. Like, he desires that. And I know that that's what's best for you as well. And if you already have a relationship with him, then I hope that you take hold of the new life that he's given you. Right? He talks about how we're new creations. The old is gone, the new has come. And I pray that you would experience deep, true communion with God. That you wouldn't be someone who just says that you're a Christian if the uh, survey calls you or something like that. Somebody asks you on the street what your religion is. But that you would really, truly know God and walk with him. And I believe that the discipline of silence and solitude is going to help you with both. And so... Let's define what I mean when I'm talking about this practice of silence and solitude. This is the practice of quieting your heart, mind, and usually your environment for the purpose of spending quality time alone with God. All right, that's all I want to talk about. After establishing the, the value of just how much God wants you to be with him, I want us to be people that learn how to quiet ourselves to actually go and focus on him, okay? So when I talk about quieting our heart, By this, I'm just talking about quieting all of the emotional turbulence that's generally going on inside of us under the surface, right? I think a lot of us live with um, a a, a lot that's kind of brewing inside, whether that's fear, whether that's anxiety, um, whatever. Maybe it's just a a, a narcissism, a a constant uh, concern about how we're coming across to others. Whatever it may be, there's 
all sorts of just things, I think, emotionally that are brewing under the surface for us. And I think when we practice silence and solitude, one of the things we're trying to do is actually quiet all of that and just be still, right? Uh, Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. That's what I'm getting at. Let all that kind of stuff sink aside and just remember, like, he is God. I don't need to have all this fear and anxiety and everything else swimming around in my life. I need to remember that he reigns over all the universe. He's bigger and more powerful than anything that might be affecting me emotionally right now. And it's just about stepping back and getting perspective on the fact that he's God and he's with you. And when I talk about quieting your mind, there's some crossover between this and quieting your heart for sure. But I'm talking more about the idea of just quieting your thoughts, okay? I know if you're like me, you've got racing thoughts all the time going around in the back of your head. You're thinking about how you've got to get the lawn mowed this afternoon and this project that you have that, that's uh, the due date's coming up and how you need to text this person back or any of those kind of things. W- when you're, we're going to practice silence and solitude, I'm asking you to just quiet all that stuff. Try and block that out. One of the things that's helpful for me is um, to just even have a notebook where I can write down something. I, I remember, oh, I got to text this person. I got to call this person. I can just write that down and now I can forget about it. And I'll come back and I'll see the list of all the things I need to do that were coming to my mind uh, when I was trying to focus on the Lord. You know, just like you can't be fully present with a friend if you're thinking about a bunch of other stuff, I think it's going to be really hard for you to be fully present with the Lord if you have all these other thoughts going on in the back of your head. And quieting your environment. I don't think that you have to be in a physically quiet place to practice the discipline of silence and solitude, but I do think that it can certainly help. All right, Having a quiet environment can, can be great just because there's less going on around you to distract you. We would see that sometimes Jesus would slip away and do this. Uh, Luke 5.16 says, But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness to pray. And so I found this to be really great. If you can find a quiet room in your house, uh, maybe you can go out into the woods or to a park or something like that, that can be really, really valuable. Um, But as I said, it doesn't always have to be that way. Uh, If you're constantly kind of in a, a place where it's difficult to get away from noise, you can still quiet your heart and mind even in the midst of a noisy place. I remember as I was uh, reading some stuff for this sermon, uh, Charles Wesley, uh, Charles and John Wesley, who are kind of famous guys that lived a couple hundred years ago, uh, their mom, being a mom, you know, there's a lot going on. Uh, she, w- when she needed to have times of silence and solitude, would literally just put her apron up over her head, <laughs> and the boys knew not to distract her uh, during that time. She was having some quiet time alone with the Lord, all right? Maybe you live a life where that's the, the closest thing that you Uh, can do. But whatever it is, get yourself to a a place where you're able to quiet your heart and your mind before the Lord so that you can spend quality time alone with him. And this is really what the objective is, right? It's all about spending quality time with God. Now, God's always with us, uh, and and we want to just be people that become more aware of his presence. And when we specifically practice silence and solitude, this is just a time of special focus on him. So think about this in terms of a dating relationship. Like, if you have a healthy dating relationship, then that means that you guys are able to go out into society and interact well with others, right? Like, you're not just that couple that's always with each other alone. Like, you, c- you function well with other people's friend groups and all that kind of stuff. Um, but you also know that there's times where it's really valuable for you to retreat and to just be alone and to spend one-on-one time with each other. 
And our life with Christ is, is very similar. In some ways, we need to be people that are really healthy and just going out into the regular world and knowing that Christ is with us in all of these places. Like, I should be able to interact uh, in my class or at work or whatever else and know that Jesus is with me and enjoy him in those spaces. But there's also times where it's really valuable for me to just get away from all that stuff and kind of like go on a date, so to speak, right? Like just, just me and him, quality time. Um, and that's kind of what we're doing with uh, silence and solitude. And so in some ways, like this is super simple, right? Like I, I could almost end this sermon right here and that there's not much more that needs to be said. I'm just trying to encourage you that God wants you to be with him, that you were designed to be with him, to spend quality time with him. Bam, like that's it. And in some ways it sounds simple, but I found that this is something a lot of people can actually really struggle with. So I want this uh, rest of the time here to be super practical. I'm simply going to share some ideas with you of how you can spend really good quality alone time with the Lord. And as I said, this has been something that's been really impactful in my life. So I'm going to just be interspersing some of the stuff that I've done uh, to, to give you some ideas. Um, but I want you to know, like, you have freedom in this, okay? Um, it's not like you have to try and mimic exactly everything that I do. It's in, in the same way that it would be silly to look at uh, someone who has, like, a dating relationship that you really uh, admire and just try and carbon copy every single thing about it. Like, that wouldn't work, right? Like, you're an individual. You're going to have a different kind of relationship. But you can learn from that other relationship where there's a lot that you can probably take away from that and implement in your own. My personal times with God, my personal relationship with him is going to look a little bit different than yours. Um, but I hope that there's still a lot that you can glean from it that you might be able to implement. Um, so one of the things that I would say when it comes to having a, a time of silence and solitude with the Lord is just have consistency with it. Uh, one of the most important things for any relationship to grow stronger is consistent time with each other. So I'm going to recommend that you actually try and make this a daily practice in your life. Uh, it doesn't have to be something where you set aside six hours or whatever. It might even just be 30 minutes in the morning. I, I try to make sure I set aside an hour in my morning. It doesn't happen absolutely every day. But I, I, tr I put this into my schedule and desire to have an hour of time with the Lord by myself uh, each day. Now, um, I like to do this in the morning just because I know that that way it's a priority and my as my day goes on, there's going to be more and more demands on my time, more texts that I have to answer, whatever, all these different kinds of things. And so I know if I do it in the morning, it's less likely that I'm, it's, it's not going to happen. But for other people, that can be really restricting. Um, for a while in college, like morning was not good for me because I was up really, really late. And so it would happen in the afternoon a lot of the time. Uh, it, I don't really care. Uh, my my uh, uncle, who's a seminary professor, was teaching us some stuff about how he does his quiet time, and he's been extremely disciplined about having daily quiet time with the Lord. But for him, he said it was really freeing to get away from the idea that it has to be done in the morning, because it seems like everyone who ever talks to you is al always says it in the morning. Uh, but he's, like, traveling all the time. He's been to, like, a million different countries. Um, and he's like, man, that just did not work with my schedule. But I know that in my day, at some point, I always have a plan for how I'm going to spend time with the Lord. Um, I would also say, if, if you want this time to be good, like, you can practice other spiritual disciplines in your times of silence and solitude. 
there's a lot of crossover between these spiritual disciplines. When I entered this series, I even talked about the fact that like there's not an official list that you're going to go find in the Bible, right? What we're doing is gleaning all these different things that we see people doing in the scriptures that are helping them press into God. And so some of the stuff we've already talked about, uh, things like reading scripture or worshiping or praying, these are all things that you can implement into your times of silence and solitude with the Lord. Um, scripture is something that I use frequently, and I can use it in a lot of different ways. Uh, so sometimes I just like to read larger chunks of scripture. I'm just going to read for a while to get a, a wide angle lens. Other times I'm going to read smaller chunks and really study and do the observe, interpret, apply thing that I taught you guys. Um, I've, I've had times where I just copy out scripture, actually. Uh, I did this with the whole book of Genesis in the, the first half of Exodus. I just got a journal, and I would literally copy it word for word. And the reason I wanted to do that is because it would slow me down, and it would make me really focused on what I was writing. Um, memorizing scripture can be really, really helpful. I know one time Cass was on a silence and solitude retreat, and she memorized the whole chapter of Romans 8, and that was really impactful for her. Um, or just meditate on scripture. Sometimes I'll take a portion, maybe even just a verse or a word, and really think about that, like kind of look at it from every angle and think about all the implications that it's going to have in my life. Um, your prayer times. Trev taught us a lot about prayer last week. Like this is obviously a great thing to do in times of silence and solitude. And then also like worship. Um, we talked a lot about corporate worship, but John even was mentioning this idea that like you can have personal times of worship just with the Lord as well. I remember uh, one time I was listening to a song, The 99. I don't, we don't sing it that often here. Uh, it was probably good for me because I think I would cry every time if we did. Because I remember uh, just having this time of silence and solitude with the Lord where I was listening to that song. And there's this line where it says, um, Savior to the lost and blind, uh, Savior to me. And it just hit me um, <coughs> with like realizing that's me. Like, I'm, I'm the lost and blind person um, that you leave the 99 for to go and find. And so just, like, there's times like that where you're going to have powerful moments with the Lord that can stick with you. To this day, I, I, have a hard, I have a hard time listening to that song. I won't listen to it unless I'm able to, um, like, give my full attention to it just because of the, the holy moment that I've had with the Lord there. Um. I would also encourage you, man, like, just get creative in your time that you get to spend with the Lord, too. Like, at the end of the day, you're hanging out with God. Like, I, I honestly like to think of it that way, because sometimes we can get so stuffy and so structured. It's like, is there any relationship that you have that you really love and enjoy that's super, like, always stuffy and, and structured? Like, no, you're going to have freedom in some of these kind of things. And if you really want to have a vibrant relationship with the Lord, then I encourage you to learn how to engage with him in more creative ways than just the, the structured stuff that you might be used to. Um, one of the things that I love to do in my times of silence and solitude is simply just think with God, right? Like, I love to think, like, basically have a philosophical conversation with him, right? Like, what, what's the, the purpose of life or um, you know, why was I born where I am, or, you know, so, something like that, just, like, tossing over these questions with the Lord, and just, like, knowing that he's there with me as I'm processing through this. Um, I like to search my heart with God. Psalm 139 says, search me, O God, <coughs> and know my heart. Try me, and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there be any hurtful way in me, 
and lead me in the everlasting way. When I get a, a, a out to have these times of silence and solitude, whether it's just in a, a room at my house or whether it's a more extended time, I love to do this where I ask God to just search my heart and think through, Grant, what all has been going on in my life? What's going on in here? Because frankly, guys, I think a lot of the time we don't take time to actually think about what's going on under the surface. Like, I don't know if you're like me, but I know that if I'm not having consistent time with the Lord, I am u- I usually end up um, walking in some sort of sin that I'm not even aware of because I'm not giving God time to expose it. So I just get it to continue on in selfishness. Usually it's something like selfishness or pride or, or something like that that's not always as obvious to you unless you really take time to ask God what's going on under the hood. Um journal with God. You know, this can be another one of those ways to kind of even just process what's going on. For some people, it's really helpful to write out their thoughts and uh, reflect with God. This is one of my favorite things to do, especially when I have longer periods of silence and solitude, is literally just think back. There's so much in the scripture that talks about reflecting, about remembering the works that God has done. And guys, this, this is a I, I have this as a regular practice in my life, not just for my normal quiet times, but my extended times. And every time I go and just think back, I love to think about, all right, God, like, I'll go back to thinking about the way that I grew up in the home that I did, you know, and, and I'll, I'll go back and I'll think about the high school that I went through. Or I'll go back and I'll think about my time in college and just reflect on how God was with me through all that time. And I feel like I'm like a, like a cup that's overflowing almost, like with thankfulness when I think about how God has brought me through all these different things, like I'm on like cloud nine. Um, Some of the things that can even be helpful in this process of reflecting is uh, reading old journals. If if you do have journals that you've written down, you can go back and you can read and you can see how God has brought you through various things that you might have been praying about or worrying about um, or or whatever. You're just remembering how God has walked with you through this stuff. One of the things that I even like to do, sometimes look at old pictures. Uh, a room that I, ha- I usually have my quiet time in Anya's room after she gets up in the morning. And uh, my old high school yearbooks are in there. And Anya always likes to grab books and, and get them out and everything. And she'd gotten out one of my high school yearbooks. And I started to look through that. And that was actually like a really awesome time of silence and solitude that I had with the Lord. Because I was going back and I was remembering like, God, like, thank you for all these people that you brought into my life, even if they're not a part of my life anymore. Like, you use these people to help shape me into who I am. Like, thank you for the experiences I got, all this kind of stuff. It ended up being, like, a really awesome time of thanksgiving, just remembering how God walked through that stuff with me. Um, Observe your surroundings. I'm going to spend a lot of time on this one. So one of the, the biggest things I think that we can do in our times of silence and solitude is literally just, like, take in what's around us. Uh, there is so much that we can learn about God from observing the world that he's made. Psalm 19, 1-2 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. You know, what is, what is the psalmist writing here? He, he's looking out, he's seeing what God's created and realizing there is so much that I can learn about you from this. And we see this a lot throughout the scripture. I can look out, I can see the stars, I can see the awesome uh, power of God, that he would speak all this into existence. I mean, just the other day, uh, me and some friends were, were working on a project in my backyard, and we're moving dirt, and dirt is hard to move, and there's a lot of it. 
<laughs> and I was literally just thinking about like, God is awesome. Like, look at all this dirt that he made. Like, it's so hard for me to move this little pile of dirt from here to here. And he can just make it by speaking. And I, like, it, it, it becomes a time of worship where I just think like, even though I'm mad that I have to move all this dirt, like, God, you're so powerful. Like, I'm so puny co- compared to you. Um, the animals, look at what Jesus told us here in Matthew 6, 26. Look at the birds of the air uh, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Saying, look at the birds, look at the flowers, look, look at the lessons God wants to teach you through these things. He's caring for that stuff. We see in Proverbs that we can even learn from the ants. Proverbs 6, 6 to 8, Go to the ants, O sluggard, observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief officer or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. God even wants to teach us how to live through things like that. And I think so many of us just kind of speed through life that we miss the things he wants to communicate to us in this. We can observe people in our quiet time, sometimes for good or sometimes for bad. Proverbs 7 talks about a man who looks out through his window and he sees a young man that's foolish, that's being led away by an adulterous woman, like an ox to the slaughter. Hebrews 11 talks about reflecting on these people that had great faith that we can learn from. We process all these observations with God. He can make us very, very wise people. And the possibilities of what God can teach you from observing his creation are endless. I think of one that stuck with me uh, in a powerful way from a few years ago. Uh, one of my favorite places on earth is Death Valley, California. Um, it's interesting. It, it's such a, uh, a barren landscape. It's one of the driest and hottest places on earth. And a few years ago, I, I took an extended retreat out there just by myself to be with the Lord. And uh, I was out on the Mesquite Flat sand dunes. It, it's just, that's what picture it is right there. And uh, as I was, I was sitting on those dunes, I just thought about how there was no life, like, anywhere that you look. Like, there's not a plant <laughs> anywhere, like, pretty much in the whole park, uh, because there's no water. And I thought about it. It's sunny out there every day. And, and in many ways, like, we all want sunny days in our lives, right? We always want the sunny time. We want it to be good. But I realized that if there's never any rain that comes, like, it doesn't produce any life. And I started to think about the way that, like, God sometimes allows trials or, you know, rainy days, so to speak, to come into our lives. And that we may not like them. We might wish that the sun was shining, but if they didn't come, there wouldn't be able to be any life that was actually produced there. You know, there's, there's just all sorts of things like this that, that can stick with us in powerful ways if we come to observe the world that God has made. And all this stuff I've been talking about, like you can do this in your daily quiet times with the Lord. Um, but I also encourage you to try and make it a practice to get away every now and then for more extended periods of time. Um, I realize everyone's work uh, availability and stuff is different for me. I try to do this at least four times a year, have like extended periods of time where I'm away with God. 
um, twice, uh, once each semester. I just try and take like half a day. We do this at the well. You're all always uh, allowed to come. Where I'll just take like six hours, go out, be with the Lord. Uh, I usually go for long walks with him, observe the city, um, and just worship, reflect, like do all these kind of things I was talking about. And then I try to each summer and each, uh, usually like early January, take times where I might even get away, kind of out more into the wilderness, and uh, just have longer, like 24-hour-plus periods uh, where it's just me and the Lord together. Um, that time I told you about Death Valley, that was the longest one I've done. I did that for four days out there. And, uh, man, that was a really powerful experience in my life, to just be with the Lord out there in the desert all that time. There's a lot of stories that I could share with you from it. Um, but it's kind of cool I get to preach this sermon on Father's Day because at that time, uh, one of the things I was really wrestling with was this big question of, like, do I want to become a dad? Um, Cass and I had been married for uh, seven years at that point. And, you know, we'd always kind of thought, like, okay, yeah, parenting would be kind of cool and interesting, but we'll cross that bridge when we get there. And we realized, okay, we're getting older, we're getting older. Um, are we, are we going to do this or not? And to me, this is just like a terrifying thing to enter into, right? Like you have a kid, there's no turning back. Like you're stuck with them for the rest of your life. And, <laughs> and like, it's a huge responsibility. I mean, it's like, there, there's, there's very few things that you'll do in your life that could be as life changing and as big a responsibility as this is. And so it wasn't something that I just wanted to enter into. And I'm like, man, I don't feel any like emptiness in my life. I feel really full. Like God's working through me. I'm seeing a lot of fruit. I'm, I'm definitely not like looking for meaning. So I'm not trying to have a kid for that or something. Uh, so I just really needed to, to wrestle with God. Like, is this something that you want me to enter into or not? Um, and, and I wanted to get to a spot where I could have just very, very clear, focused time to speak with him about that. And so I went out there uh, to Death Valley, and it was there that I felt like I finally was able to have confirmation and peace, like, yes, Grant, like, this is a phase of your life that I want you to be entering into. Um, and this was January of 2020. Yeah, January 2020. Um, and so if you don't know, something else happened that year in 2020. It's called COVID-19. <laughs> and uh, that, that would hit in March. Of course, I don't know that. Uh, that would hit the U.S. that in March. I didn't know that. Um, but as I was praying, I, I felt like the Lord was even giving me a time frame of, like, Grant, I want you and Cass to try to get pregnant sometime between March and July. I was like, okay, sometime between March and July. Now it's January. It gives me a little bit of time to mentally prepare for this. And... Uh, so March is right when COVID went crazy, like the world's going crazy. We don't know what this virus is doing. We don't know if it's safe to be pregnant. You know, we don't have any idea what's going to happen. So it's kind of like, do I really want to enter into this super uh, scary thing in the midst of the world being in a pandemic and nobody really knowing what's going on? So we kind of start to wait because March through July was the time frame. Uh, wait through March. Okay, April's still kind of crazy. We're still waiting, still kind of scared. Uh, June finally like gets to be late June it's like I feel like the Lord was was guiding us like this is this is the, the time frame it's supposed to be and so um sure enough like okay we're, we're gonna do this and uh I I, I was kind of thinking like, oh, it's gonna take like a year to get pregnant or whatever my, my parents had had some fertility issues and stuff um but no joke we were pregnant like right away <laughs> uh like immediately 
And it, it was cool. I mean, I, I don't make of that what you wish, right? Like a, a skeptic can, can say what they want about that. But for me, like that was a really awesome experience. You know, like I felt like the Lord even gave me a specific window and it was in that window it was like we were pregnant. Um, and so I, I just say like, man, I, I love to, to take these times to even go and like really seek God. Like I believe that he wants us to be with him. He wants to give us guidance in our lives. Um, and as I said, like, this is my relationship with the Lord. Like, you, you can't carbon copy it. You're, the way that you interact with him is, is going to be a little bit different than, than how I do. Um, but I'm just trying to, to show you guys, like, man, there's uh, so much value that I, I've seen. And, and the depth that I have with the Lord is so different than what it would be if I did not practice this consistently. I want this so badly for you guys because I believe that this is going to help make you deep people that have a rich connection with the Lord. And God wants that for you, and I want that for you. And so, man, I'm just convinced that practicing silence and solitude with God is, is valuable because, one, it's going to slow you down, right? Like, he speeds through life, like I was saying, and uh, we can have this mentality of just thinking life is all about getting as much done as I possibly can, achieving uh, all my goals. But, man, sometimes it's really helpful to actually hit the brakes a little bit. Um, there's a guy uh, named John Mark Comer who, who wrote this book called Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And I actually haven't read the book, but I've listened to some podcasts that he's done where he talks about this concept. And uh, he was talking to this guy, a, a mentor of his, about like, man, what, what is it that we need like to grow in godliness? And, and the guy paused for a while. He's like, we, you, you need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry in your life. And, and man, like, Going fast can be great, uh, but it's only helpful if you're going in the right direction. And I think a lot of us never really even take time to kind of keep checking the compass to see if we're moving in the right direction. Silence and solitude helps us to do that. I also believe it makes it easier to hear God's voice. It's hard to hear God's voice in the midst of a million distractions, right? We can be caught up in so much activity. Sometimes it's even really good activity. But man, oh man, if we're never taking time to simply and quietly sit at the feet of Jesus, I think we're going to have a hard time hearing the voice of the Lord. I, I was uh, struck powerfully by this story about Mary and Martha a few years ago. Uh, Luke 10, 38 to 41, it says, uh, Now as they were traveling along, he entered a village, being Jesus, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. And I had read that story plenty of times before, but in this context, someone who was talking to me about it helped me realize, like, what was Martha doing? It wasn't like she was caught up in, like, sin. It wasn't like she was doing stupid stuff. Like, she was literally serving Jesus. <laughs> like, Jesus came, and when Jesus came, he'd roll up with an entourage, right? Jesus had a crew. Like, it's not, it's, it's like preparing Thanksgiving dinner, right? He's got 12 disciples coming along. We know there were other people, too. There were women that were part of this party. Uh, there were others, like Matthias, who would later become one of the apostles. So he, Jesus has got, like, he rolls deep. 
and he comes in to, to, to Martha's house, and she's got a lot of work to do in preparing for him. And, and her sister is just sitting at his feet, listening. And, you know, Martha, it, the things that she was distracted and bothered by were actually valuable things. Like Jesus in that party needed to eat. She was doing good stuff. But what was even more valuable was just sitting at his feet and listening. And that's not to say that there's never a time for all the serving and stuff, right? Like we know there's a lot of activity in the Christian life. But Mary understood that what was even more important was first sitting at the feet of Jesus. And guys, when we do that, don't worry. Like Jesus is active too. Like we're going to follow him. He's going to get us going. There'll be plenty of activity. But may we be people that learn the value like Mary did of just sitting at his feet and listening to him. The silence and solitude is going to help you do that. I also believe it's going to help put everything in perspective. When you spend time with Jesus, it has a tendency to change you, right? Like even Martha, like what the Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're so busy, you're so distracted, you're worried about all these kind of things. There's only one thing that's important. And man, when we get away, whether that's taking a retreat somewhere or even if it's just in, in your room in the morning, or in the evening, or afternoon, or whatever works for you, right? Because you need to find what works in your schedule. Like, stepping away to that. Like, it just gives us perspective. Stuff that we used to be so worried about and so caught up in, like, you realize in the light of eternity, and, and it's just not that big of a deal. Right? There's this, uh, this song, it's an old song, it was written a little over 100 years ago. Many of you may have heard it, especially if you grew up in church, it's, it goes, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It's like, man, that's so true. If you turn your eyes upon him, the other stuff of the world really doesn't kind of start to dim. And finally, if you practice this, I believe it's going to be something that keeps you beautifully connected to Jesus. I feel like we've talked about John 15 a lot over the past month or so, but just the simple statement Jesus made, abide in me and I in you. Like abide and stay. Let's be people that stay connected to him. We have no life apart from him. And guys, if, if we learn to do this, we learn to sit at his feet, we learn to, to really treasure this connection, it's going to be really hard to wander away. Right? Like I know that walking by faith and not by sight is hard. I have plenty of friends, that, frankly, that have gotten older and and, and some of them have continued to thrive in their faith. Some of them have really struggled. Some of them have even walked away from the faith. And there's all sorts of different reasons that can play into this. But, but one of the things I would say is like, man, it, it, when you learn to really let your heart be connected to the Lord deeply in these times, it's going to be pretty hard to wander away. When you have a real relationship, you actually hang out. It's totally different than having a simple allegiance to a certain concept or worldview. It's different when it's a real relationship. He's, God is real. He's alive, and he wants you to experience him. I cannot imagine wandering away from the Lord because of the depth of our relationship, right? That's not, that's not to say that I never have doubts, right? Like, I have doubts sometimes. Like, it's, it's not to say that I never have struggles. It's not to say that I don't experience temptation. I deal with all that same kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, I have a depth of relationship with the Lord that's just 
real. It's just real. Like, I, like no one's going to come present me with an argument that's going to shatter that. And, and so, man, I just, I, my hope and my prayer for you guys in the long haul is just that you would be people that cultivate this deep abiding relationship with Jesus. Because you're going to need that depth for the long haul, right? Like persecution, temptation, just the steady march of time and the difficulty of walking by faith. If you don't have a deep relationship with the Lord, you're going to struggle. And so, man, may we be people that learn to cultivate that. And if we do, like, you're going to be experiencing more of that abundant life that Jesus wants you to have. And I believe as a church, We'll start to have more of an impact on the world around us as well. And so in conclusion, I just pray that we would be a deep church full of deep people that have a deep connection with our God. And I pray that we would love and desire his presence in the way that he loves and desires us. Let's pray. <coughs> God, I thank you uh, just for who you are. God, I just thank you that uh, you're real. Like, I, I am fully and completely convinced of that, God. Just, um, I know that you love us. I know that you care for us. I know that you hear our prayers. Um, I know that you desire fellowship with us, Lord. And I just pray for us, uh, God. I pray for this church that um, we would really experience you deeply, God. pray that we'd be a, a church full of people with, with a soul that, that thirsts for you the way that David wrote in Psalm 63. Like, God, that we'd be people that like are, are as deer pants for water, our soul thirsts for you, God. Um, and I just, I thank you, Lord, that you like want us to be with you. That, that we get to seek your face, but you tell us first to seek it. So Lord, be with us, reward us, God, as we I know I uh, think about the scripture talks about how you're a rewarder of those that seek him. And so God, be with us. Help us to be people that press into you. Help us to be people that experience you, that hear from you. We love you so much, Lord. We thank you.